Welcome to the Forever a Bull podcast, connecting with the UB stars of the past. Here's your host, voice of the Bulls, Paul Peck. And we have a legitimate star UB alum on this edition of the Forever a Bull podcast. And anybody that's been around UB football or been to a game or been in the Gusevich Club in the last couple of years, the uh, inimitable presence of Jim Mouse McNally is always there, one of the more notable and famous UB football and coaching alums joining us from his home in Western New York on our Forever a Bull podcast. Mouse, uh, for anybody that follows you on Facebook, knows that the one thing you have been doing is keeping in shape. Credit to you for all the workout videos. Well, I do it for fun. You know, I, uh, uh, I, I've been doing my chin-ups, and recently every day I put a di little different outfit on. I put a different hat on or a different shirt on, and I give some shout-outs to something weird. You know, yesterday I had a hat from uh, – a small town in Idaho, McCall, and then I had a shirt from 1989, Montana Grizzlies. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I do some crazy stuff. All for you know, fun, though. You are um, as much a bundle of energy as anybody that I have ever met in my career here, so I don't know how you, of all people, are holding up on all this uh, as we're all struggling our way through to uh, stay busy. You know, you're a perpetually in motion. Uh, how have you handled all this? Well, to be honest with you, uh, the corona thing is very serious. We know that. But I have other issues that are, you know, I don't have cancer or anything life-threatening. But I have other little issues physically that bother me. So I'm always worried about, oh, this hurts or that hurts. or I got to get this CAT scan or I got to go there. So uh, kind of other little things. And I've been doing some projects for the Bengals. So uh, the corona thing isn't the number one thing on my mind. Obviously, would be if I caught it, <laughs> but right now, uh, other things occupy me. Right. Well, before we get to into what we want to talk about is your UB career. You mentioned that uh, even though you're retired, you've been working with the Bengals, where you've certainly had a long association, and uh, you know the draft obviously still going on. So, what exactly have you been doing um, for the Bengals? What kind of contributions are you helping the the football program out with? <laughs> Well, during the season, I do projects on the opponents. Uh, you know, all the defensive linemen, the linebackers, all the moves they have. Uh, like you could watch a defensive player and you can see his multiple moves, the same move over and over again. And, uh, you know, on the running game or the passing game. And then during the, uh, the draft and free agency, I did a lot of college players, a lot of NFL players. And right now I'm doing um, – I'm sending the coaches some drills that I do with videos of, uh, you know, offensive linemen doing these particular techniques. So I, I deal with the, closely with the video people because I only have an iPad and I don't edit. So I have all the videos and I have all the drills and all this, that, and the other. But I have to tell the video people, send this, send that, because I don't edit. But uh, anyway, so but I have an iPad and it's, there's a lot on it. I bet there is. Okay, so so all of this starts for you in the mid-60s as a graduate of Kenmore West High School in Western New York. And I don't know that I knew this necessarily uh, until uh, the, the great feature story they did on you in The Athletic a week or so ago, but I didn't realize you were a walk-on at UB. So what went into the process? Yeah, what went into the process of deciding on UB and figuring out a way to get that walk-on position, uh, you know, then under, uh, under Coach Offenhammer? Well, there are a few uh, 
other people from my high school, Ken Moore, Ken Moore, and then it turned into Ken Moore West, uh, Jerry Gurgley, and Larry Gurgley. Uh, well, uh, Jerry was about four years older than me, and Larry was one year, and we were from Kenmore, and uh, so they were familiar with our football team. Uh, and uh, you know, obviously, I was undersized. I was probably five foot nine if you stretch me. I might have weighed two hundred pounds, and. Uh, they recruited me. Uh, I think a fellow's name was Mike Rhodes, a defensive line coach, had the local area. And uh, I went up there for a visit, uh, you know, on a weekend. And uh, uh, they wanted me to come as a walk-on. Uh, I made all Western New York. And, and, uh, but my grades weren't very good. So I really couldn't get into regular UB. So I had to go to what they call university college which was like going to night school, but you could go during the day. Uh, and I, I got accepted, and I was able to play freshman football, but I had to get good grades to be a regular student in the four-year program, which I was able to do after that first semester of my freshman year. And then about uh, the end of my sophomore year, uh, Buddy Ryan was our coach, and we went into this dark room, and tried to kill each other, <laughs> uh, you know, going one-on-one -on -one and putting a new defense in. And I ended up lettering as a sophomore and starting as a junior and a senior, and I earned a scholarship, and that's it. Uh, but if it wasn't for Buddy Ryan being my coach and kind of molded me a little bit, I, I don't know if I've ever played. And another guy named Joe Shiflett was a graduate assistant coach, and he was one of my coaches, and he told uh, Coach Offenhammer and Coach Ryan, he said, they had me as a linebacker. Well, I couldn't see. And they said, you got to put him down as a down guy, even though I was short. And they did. And, uh, and that's where I kind of flourished. Yeah, uh, Joe Shifflett went on to a very long, distinguished career coaching here in Western New York as well, too. You mentioned it, 5'9", 200. Now, I get it. In the 60s, the sizes were different, certainly not what they are now. But even like you said, that was small. How is it that you were successful as a lineman when, when even then you were undersized? Yeah, I think the most I ever weighed at UB was 210, you know, as I graduated. Um, I don't know. I... Uh, you know, I play, we played both ways, and uh, we played both ways till my senior year, then I just played offense. But my sophomore and junior year, we would play both ways, and there were two teams that played the whole game. I mean, for example, now offense plays and defense plays. Then you played offense and defense, and after a couple of series, the next group came in. So there wasn't really a first string or a second string. There were two groups of players that played, but you played both ways. Uh, I don't know. I mean, people would say I had pretty good technique. I was pretty quick. Uh, you know, uh, on defense, I played over the guard, and I was kind of flexed. I was kind of like a line. I wasn't a linebacker, but they played me off the ball, you know, in a stance, in a four-point stance, actually, where I could read the center and step here. And I kind of would run around people and, you know, uh, it was kind of a finesse thing to avoid blockers, uh, I guess almost maybe like the radar defense. And I made a lot of tackles. And, uh, but the guy next to me, we played a wide tackle six, which means there were two guys over the guards and nobody right up the middle. I mean, there was, I was over the, the one guard and my buddy was over the other guard. And there was a big hole up the middle and uh, I was short. So my assignment on the passing game was to watch the draws and the screens. The other guy was rushing. 
Now we, you know, the defensive ends would rush and so forth. So I had the draws and the screens, and uh, I, uh, I think I had decent technique, and and the keys that I used uh, enabled me to make a lot of tackles. All right. So 1962 to 64 is when you play. When when UB was one of the powers in Eastern College football, and you're only all that you know, only a few years removed from that 1958 team that I think most Bulls fans know the story behind. Um, that was one of the preeminent teams in the East. So so what was it like to play at UB? What was the level of play? What was it like playing for Coach Offenhammer at the time, who was also the coach in 1958? Well, uh, you know, we didn't know much about, or I didn't know about Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. I mean, I think we were in the Lambert Cup area, which is, I think we were considered small college. And, uh, you know, we played, we played good teams, but then some teams you would say, I, I mean, I, we would play a team like Gettysburg or Bucknell or uh, a few other teams uh, that you would say what might be Division Three now or Division Two. My printer is popping out here. <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, but then we would play Boston College. We played Villanova. We played Holy Cross. We played Boston U. At that time, some of those teams were uh, playing D1 football. They would play Syracuse and some other bigger, bigger teams. What was Coach Offenhammer like? Uh, he was he was a, kind of a tough guy. But he was a good guy. He was a military guy. Uh, he uh, uh, he was a boxer actually in in the in, in in the army. And he went to Colgate. And he played. He was a, a a running back, I believe. But he was kind of a tough guy. I mean, not a he wasn't nasty or anything like that. But just kind of you know you kind of respected him. He was kind of hard nosed. And uh, he was good, you know, with me, though, I had a more relationship with my individual coach, you know, Buddy Ryan and the line coach, you know, Coach LaRoque, the assistant coaches, Coach Deming, uh, you know, the head coach was kind of the head coach, you know what I mean? You dealt more with the assistants. Well, so that, that leads me to the question about Buddy Ryan. Obviously, we've all come to know, at least football fans that, you know, can remember uh, the 80s and 90s to, to kind of have our own image and idea what Buddy Ryan was like. How much different or the same was Buddy when you were playing for him in the 60s at UB to the Buddy Ryan that became certainly one of the most prominent assistant coaches in NFL history? And quite the hard ass, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well... Obviously, I knew him under both circumstances when I played for him. And then when I coached in the NFL, we would play against his teams and I'd meet him on the sideline. But I mean, it was uh, when I was a player, it was more player coach relationship. And uh, then I was older as a coach and uh, he was the same. I mean, he wasn't coaching me at that time, but he, we would talk casually and how you doing? And, you know, we were friends. Uh, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to visit with him, you know, before the game. Hey, coach, how you doing? Hey, good luck, blah, blah, blah. Uh, as I did when I played for him, when you were with him two or three hours a day. Uh, so it was a different relationship. So after does that, does that screw up our podcast? No, 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 we're good. We're, we're good. Thing your wife's got work to do, that's certainly fine. So, um, all right, so 1965, after you graduate, you become a student coach at UB, and then that leads to a grad assistant. Yes. So you're kind of working under Buddy Ryan. Uh, and then there was a coaching change, too. Doc Urich. One year. One, one year under Buddy Ryan. Okay. One year. And then Dick Offenhammer 
resigned and right. Buddy Ryan left. And gotcha. then uh, Dr. So obviously, is it safe to say that's where the coaching bug came for you? Is that, that you know, you, you talked about you as a player, you were a technician anyway, but was it an easy transition into coaching? Is that when you kind of decided that this is what you might want to pursue as a career? Well, in the season of 65, I was a fifth year student. It took me five years to graduate. So they gave me a scholarship to be a coach, but I wasn't a graduate student yet. I was still an undergraduate student. So that's when I worked with Buddy Ryan uh, with the defensive line, okay? So then I graduated, okay? And then the new coach came in, Doc Urich. So I had already had one year of coaching with Buddy Ryan and Dick Offenhammer. And then when the new coach came in, Doc Urich, uh, they hired me as a GA, a legitimate graduate assistant, because then I went to graduate school for two years. So I did have the one year as a student assistant, and then I went two years as a graduate assistant, still the same thing, you're a student coach. And then after three years of a student type of a coach, uh, they hired me as the freshman football coach under uh, Doc Urich. So, uh, so what was it like coaching then? What, what, was, what appealed to you most? What did you enjoy most about, about making that transition to being a coach? Well, my degree was in business administration, and I, did, I wanted no part of that, even though my dad said, because I told my dad coming out of high school, I think I want to be a phys ed teacher. He says, you don't want to be a gym teacher. All they do is roll the balls out. <laughs> <laughs> so my dad talked me into taking business which I, uh, you know, I did it. But uh, so, you know, being a coach and be, I mean, excuse me, being a player and I in sports in high school and at UB, I really didn't want to go into business or sales. And it just happened when Buddy Ryan asked me to come out and football was my life, basically. That kind of transitioned me into, hey, this is really what I want to do. Who were some of the memorable uh, players and uh, that you played with, got to know, coached? I mean, who were some of those guys that that you still uh, have fond memories of? And I know some of them you still have relationships with. Well, um, actually, uh, when I was uh, playing at UB, uh, one year ahead of me was Jerry Philbin, who's one of the all-time greats, played with the Jets, uh, played the Super Bowl. Uh, he was a defensive end, a great player for us. We had a great quarterback named John Stofa. And then the next year, we, and I'm still playing now, uh, Don Gilbert, one of the greatest athletes to come out of Western New York. Uh, I think he played uh, starting quarterback at Bennett High School at age 14. Uh, so, uh, you know, Don Gilbert's a local guy and, uh, and uh, yeah, Jerry Philbin. And we had all, a lot of other real good players. Uh, Edgar Poles played in Canada, uh, was a terrific player. Kevin Brinkworth was a real tough guy, uh, uh, who, who's, a, who's a local guy. And then, yeah, it still is, no <laughs> question about that. And then, uh, and then when I started to coach, uh, you know, we had, oh my God, we had some good players. We had Leland Jones, who led the nation, I believe, in scoring. He was a fullback, but he carried the ball all the time. Uh, we had Denny uh, Mason, that was a, a great high school coach. Uh, John Fowler. Uh, we had uh, a, a number. Danny Walgate, who worked up at UB for years. He was a defensive lineman. Uh, we had a lot of great coaches that worked after that. Sam Sanders, a guy named Rick Lance. 
uh, Terry Ransbury, a local guy that was a terrific high school coach locally. He was a coach at UB. Uh, we had a guy named Teddy Gibbons, a defensive lineman that was terrific. He was out of Rhode Island. Um, we had a number of guys, you know, that the top, too hard to mention all of them. But I'd say the biggest names that I played with would be Jerry Philbin, John Stofa, Don Gilbert, uh, that, that were kind of my years. Those are good Rich names. Condino was a coach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are good names that a lot of Bulls fans will certainly recognize. All right, so you're there at UB uh, until – you, the football program gets dropped, and and I I don't know a whole lot about this, and I'm not sure that a lot of Bulls fans do know about it. What was it like when that happened? Why did it happen? What was the attitude, the mood there? And obviously, that sent you off into other opportunities. We'll talk about in a moment, but but what was that like when when the decision was made to end the program? I believe it was the season of seventy. Uh, it was. Yeah, in the season of 69, we had a good year. Uh, Doc Urich left, I believe, in 68. And in 69, we had a good year. I think we were like eight and four. Uh, I think we beat Boston College, beat Villanova. And then all of a sudden, that uh, revolt on campus, the Vietnam War, the uh, student revolt, uh, we had an issue with student fees. I think we had like 20-some thousand students at the time. I'm not sure. And there was a $25 student fee deal, and the students declined to pay the $25 student fee. Now, I don't know whether that covers sports or all fees, but we didn't have that income coming in. And the state of New York, uh, Albany, whatever, whoever ran that show, uh, did not support uh, sports or the athletic program uh, that following year so we dropped football we didn't have any money and we were flying around the country playing teams like iowa state and north carolina state which you got to get on an airplane you got to stay in a hotel you, you know stuff like that so i know we played holy cross of our last games and we had a student revolt parade walking around the track during the football game Okay, I don't know if it was during the game or at halftime. So here I'm up in the, I remember I was up in the press box at that time for whatever reason that year. And I was looking down and here's all these students walking around the track, their flags and bandanas, uh, protesting, you know, whatever. So that was our downfall. So it wasn't because of the pro, the program was successful. It was, it was those reasons, not football yes, reasons. Absolutely. It was funds. You know, we were not in a league. Uh, we didn't have any support from New York. Uh, uh, obviously, we probably didn't have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, alumni funds coming in. And progressively, we went from playing teams like Bucknell, Gettysburg, whatever, to Iowa State, to Boston College, to North Carolina State. So Boston, I said Boston, Villanova was good at that time. And then we were kind of, because some of those bigger teams were putting us on the schedule, you know, uh, to, to fill up their schedule. And, uh, and then obviously we dropped football in 70. It was like seven or eight years without football. So you lost all of those football player, alumni, support group, et cetera. 
Right. Yeah, no question about that. So that sends you off on your incredible journey of coaching in college and then ultimately the NFL. And uh, I did want to ask you about your first college job. I believe it was your first college job because that you make the move to Marshall, which is coming right after the very tragic plane crash um, that that sends the Marshall program in turmoil. And anybody that's seen the movie, We Are Marshall, knows there's a Jim McNally character in it as well. What was that like, uh, being a part of the resurrection of that program? And you're still a very young man and a young coach. Yeah, it was November 14th, 1970. Marshall was playing East Carolina in Greenville, North Carolina. And uh, they, uh, you know, they, they had a they flew to, to play East Carolina, and then after the game, they, they flew home. And the ironic thing was there were three or four coaches that had driven cars because they were scouting high school games the night before en route from Huntington, West Virginia to Greenville, North Carolina. So some of the coaches uh, were not on the plane when the plane crashed uh, after, you know, they returned from, from East Carolina. Uh, so anyway, uh UB had dropped football and I was at the convention in Houston and we were looking for jobs and it just happened that uh, I knew a guy uh, named Mike Stock who was one of our assistant coaches at UB under Doc Urich who was a good friend of the new head coach at Marshall Jack Lengel he got me an interview I was hired at Marshall and uh, but but again I was looking for a job. They did not fire us at UB. The six or seven assistant coaches that were still there, uh, they gave us miscellaneous jobs. Like my job was uh, coaching aerobics to anybody over 70 years old, I think, and <laughs> opening and closing Clark Gym. Well, sooner or later, you know, I had to get a job or they, they had to put you somewhere. And uh, like Bill Dando stayed in the, in the alumni or in the athletic department, Terry Ramsbury stayed, and a number of us went on to other jobs. But again, it, it, you know, I had to get a job and I knew a guy that knew a guy and uh, Marshall needed to coach and needed assistant coaches because all of the coaches but three were killed in the plane crash. So that's how I got to Huntington, West Virginia. And that uh, gets you started on the incredible run of, uh, like I said, at colleges and then to the NFL, certainly the Bengals, most prominently Carolina, the Giants uh, in Buffalo with the Bills. Uh, as you reflect back on that college and NFL career, um, you know, how much was how much of what you learned at Buffalo was part of it? How much did did that form the foundation for what you would, would eventually become as what most people consider one of the all time great offensive line coaches in NFL history? Well, I think it was just maybe the work habits that I developed, maybe the discipline under a guy like Coach Ryan, maybe the work habits that I studied under a uh, a fellow that was Doc York's line coach, his name was Bob Geiger. I've mentioned him before. And uh, he was the offensive line coach under Doc York, and he was meticulous and great work habits. And man, I said, this guy's a workaholic. And, and, and so I kind of modeled myself, or I tried to kind of copy him. And I think just those work habits, uh, that not, not necessarily the techniques that I learned or the drills, because obviously you, you grew and you adopted new techniques and new drills through the years. Uh, but I think it was just the work habits, you know, maybe it had something to do with my dad. My dad said, you're never going to quit anything. I mean, he wasn't going to punch me in the nose, but I mean, he was always there for me. And he was a, he's in the Canisius College Hall of Fame. He was, uh, played football, basketball, and baseball. So, I mean, as growing up, I mean, he was always had my back and always 
you know, helping me to move on. And uh, so anything, I think my, my father, Buddy Ryan, and then this Bob Geiger, and then having to go to Marshall where you had to work your butt off recruiting and selling the program and we don't have a team and just the whole thing, you know what I mean? Uh, and then what happened was, luckily after Marshall, I went to Boston College and I had eight or nine or 10 NFL linemen there. They weren't all all pros, but all of a sudden I was able to jump and, and coach some terrific players. You know, when I was at Wake Forest, I had three or four that in the NFL. Billy Yard played guard for the Giants for a number of years. Yeah, a guy named Richard Ball. Super Bowl team, sure. Uh, yeah, Super Bowl teams. And then, and then uh, you know, uh, but, you know, Wake Forest, Boston College, and then, you know, I went to the Bengals and whatever. But again, I had some good players in college. Uh, and I think it was just the uh, wanting to learn, wanting to be the best that I may have all started at UB. Uh, I grew up a big Giants fan in New Jersey. I remember Billy Yard was a huge Giants fan. He was from New Jersey. And I always remember yes, there was song. his family. His family before the draft wanted the Giants to draft him, and they either put up a poster or a banner or something that said, Let Ard be your guard. Absolutely. And, it, and he was, and he was a really good player on their Super Bowl teams. So football comes back at UB as you're making your way through the NFL. How much do you try to keep in touch with the program? How much do you stay connected with this, you know, at the time, Division Three, and, and, and working its way back to where UB is now? Well, I always stayed in touch, and I always would visit a little here and there when I was away. But when I came back to the Bills in 2004, I think Jim Hoffer was the still the coach then. Right. And Jim Hoffer was one of our graduate assistants at Wake Forest. And I may have or may not have helped him get the UB job. He earned it himself. But I mean, maybe I gave him a recommendation there. So I knew Jim Hoffer real well. We were good friends. So coming back to the Bills, the UB, Jim Hoffer, the coach, you know, I would go to practice when I could and go to some of the games. And then uh, after I retired in 2008, then uh, with Coach Quinn, who I recommended for the job because I knew him well from Cincinnati uh, because he was a coach at the University of Cincinnati. And then I was able to go on the trips more, be more involved, go to practice more. And uh, they treat me great there. So, so Reflect for me a little bit on what you've seen this program become uh, since it's come back to Division One in 99. And as you mentioned, 2008, you get involved with Coach Quinn and now where things are at with Coach Leipold. Just reflect a little bit on what you've seen the growth. And, and again, you and your teammates um, have played a part in that, in, in your donations and your support and everything. But just reflect on me a little bit on what this program is right now. I, I can't, well, I can't believe it because I see it, but I mean, they have come so far, obviously with the facilities, the new field house, the, the upgraded uh, offices, but I mean, UB's got good football players. I mean, now we're not talking about LSU or Alabama, but I mean, uh, many of our players could play on some of the biggest teams in the country. So the bottom line is since we dropped football and brought it back, we, we missed all those seven, eight, nine years of just football and alumni and contributions and all that stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable because I think a lot of the other 
schools that were in the conference or schools we recruit against, they may say, oh, you don't want to go up to Buffalo. It's too cold up there. And why don't want you? So whatever our coaches have done, uh, have got good football players, and we've won the conference, and we go to bowl games, and I think it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's unbelievable. It really is. I, I don't know how we've done it other than hard work, obviously. And you can only play 11 guys at a time, you know. So uh, I think however they've done the recruiting and found the guys that maybe someone else thought was a little too small or a little too slow or a little too this, and then we've developed them, and, and we're good. We're very good. You know, you've always been a coach that has been um, – one of the keys has always been taking maybe guys that – your reputation is taking guys that may not always be the most talented guys and turning them into great players and a great part of a unit on an offensive line. Is is being a, a, a mid-American conference program like UB sort of similar to that? You have to find sort of the, 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 the non-polished gems sometimes? Well, I think some of the, what do they call them, the Power Five schools or the Big Five conferences or whatever, they, their, their standards are so high. I mean, so high that there are so many good football players out there that might be an inch shorter or 15 pounds lighter or a step slower that eventually could be as good or better than the ones that are already polished. So. I think, I, I just think there's enough players out there that the big schools can only take so many, you know, because some year, maybe a team like LSU or Alabama or Notre Dame, you know, maybe they only need two linemen because they got a number of veterans returning. And then, so, I mean, I think, I think there's enough players out there that if you work hard on the recruiting part of it and, you know, they're, attitude and personality that you can get good players. I think, I think the numbers are out there uh, to get the players. The big schools can't take all of them. And the ones that seem to whittle down the next group, uh, that group can be as good or almost as good as the top guys. All right, so it's a career in football. It started in the mid-60s and continues to this day as you continue to work and run clinics and work with the Bengals. I want you to give me the things that you maybe are the most amazed about that the, that has changed in the sport through your incredible run, um, and maybe the, maybe the thing that you think hasn't changed the much or, or maybe shouldn't change the much. Just reflect for me a little bit on how this game, the sport has changed uh, both good and bad through your long career well i can speak more for the nfl but it may be the same in college in in the early years like in the nfl many or most of the players actually lived and worked in the same community as as the team they were playing for they had to get a second job they really associated with the fans and in college you know the alumni a lot of the the kids that would go to college years and years ago got very close to the alumni. And I'm not talking about <laughs> taking illegal monies. I'm just saying is nowadays, I think everybody is more in it for themselves. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't mean that they don't play hard for the team, but they're more concerned about, you know, where am I going next? And how, how high am I going to get drafted? If I'm a high school kid, or what college is going to take me? Uh, is my highlight film going to be on YouTube? You know, I'm in college. Uh, can, I, can I go to the portal thing and go to another team? Or uh, I'm not so sure that the total loyalty 
for that group that you're involved with is there as much as it was in the old days. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't think that's there. I mean, it, it's not their fault. It's probably uh, all the social media, uh, et cetera. Uh, you know, I don't think the kids are any, I mean, I think the kids are just as tough nowadays. They have more protection equipment wise. I mean, in the old days, I mean, you look at the helmets they used, or even when I first started, you know, you didn't have a lot of padding. Uh, I mean, you, you, you got hurt. I mean, you, you, you would get hurt a little bit more. And of course now they're bigger and stronger. Now, uh, I think the techniques are more refined in the offensive line. There's more refined techniques where you don't have to stick your head in and headbutt. Uh, we've developed different ways of using the body, kind of sumo type um, movements uh, to defeat the, the defender, which is just as good as the old school fire out and stick your head in and try to kill a guy. Uh, so I think the, re the techniques have been refined. There's more coaches. It's more technical. It's almost a little confusing because, you know, these staffs got 12, 15, 17 coaches, even the colleges, they got, they've got computer videotape. You can find every situation from the five yard line going into score on the left hash, this play, that play. It's kind of uh, uh, almost too much. <laughs> okay. And the last thing I'll lead you with is uh, I, it, it, for you as an offensive line coach and a former offensive line player, we talked about this. You played at 5'9", 200. Uh, now you're standard, even college UB offensive lineman, 6'4", 300, before you're even going to think about them. Uh, is it the size change of that position, uh, is it different to coach? Is it make it different coaching? Or is it just the inevitable uh, evolution of it? Uh, because that that you've seen that grow particularly so much in your career? No, I mean, I think, well, like when you get a group together, like UB's linemen, you know, all their old linemen are big guys, real big guys. So you just, they all look the same. I mean, some are a little taller, some a little heavier, but I mean, it's like they're all kind of in the same group. So it's not like all of a sudden, you know, last year everybody was six foot, 220 pounds, and now this year they're all six five, three hundred and six. I mean, it, it, it's transitioned over time. So you as a coach have kind of got used to seeing them getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Now when you walk into a drill, you just, that's who they are. You don't make a big deal of it. You know, you may need big people to play nowadays because the other team's big and all that stuff. But no, it's just, you just, I mean, they're the same guys. They're bigger. Uh, you know, their body moves the same way, you know, they may be a little bit slow, they may be a little bit this, they may have uh, great quickness, they may have good strength, but, you know, 30 years ago, they had the same properties, you know, guys were strong, they were quick, whatever, it's just, they're on a bigger framework, frame now. Right. Hey, uh, for all of us that are involved in the program, the football program at UB and UB Athletics as a whole, we know you've played a big part, not only monetarily, but just uh, in spirit, uh, in helping and supporting and giving advice. And, uh, and, and for all of us, we thank you for that. It is always fun to have you around. It's always fun to talk football with you. Uh, and hopefully by listening to this, Bulls fans have gotten a little feel for, uh, for the groundwork that was laid in your great career and what it was like to be a Bull back in the days. So keep that up and, uh, and keep being a part of the program. We like having you around.
Okay, Paul, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure. He is Jim McNally, one of the all-time greats, former UB football player, coach, NFL assistant coach, joining us on the Forever a Bull podcast. Once a bull, always a bull. This has been a production of Bulls Digital.